Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. We had a wonderful summer in the Psalms, didn't we? Didn't we have a great summer in the Psalms? And I was tempted to, to share uh, like kind of a postscript message on um, the word Selah today, and, I, and I'm not going to do that um, because uh, I want to jump into something else today. But as I was thinking about this summer, I was so grateful to hear uh, from John Wayne and Nathan Watley, from Daria Nardoza, from Kelly Orlana yes, last week. It was so good. Uh, I got a chance to share in, those, in that series as well. And, and I think about that word Selah because Selah means to pause. But it doesn't mean just to pause and stay paused. It usually fits in between two sections in a song or a psalm, right, or a prayer. So the pause is not just to stay paused, but it's to pause and then be ready for what's next. So you're singing a a chorus, you pause just to kind of let it sit there, make sure that you're aware of what's happening, and then you move on. And that's kind of what this summer uh, maybe feels like for some of us, but what that word is important for us to think about in our, in our lives, in our spiritual walk with the Lord, in our faith, in our mission. We, pa- we press pause because we want to pay attention to the current moment. And we want to hear what the Lord has in store for us. And this summer, through various psalms, we heard from the Lord, um, as various people taught, we got a chance to be filled with hope and courage and resilience and what it means to be silent and, 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 and slow down with the Lord and also be courageous. And then now we, we kind of shift. It's Labor Day weekend. And it's not that we don't rest anymore, because I think, as Kelly said last week, we rest even in the, 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 you know, the busy times. But we do, we do kind of turn and say, okay, Lord, hey, what's next? How do we engage? And so my heart today, as we start uh, a short three-week series, is that we would just um, kind of really engage the next few weeks as a, as a few weeks of preparing to engage. Like, what does God have next? What, is, what does God long to do? My heart has been kind of burning a little bit around the theme of renewal. Like, how does God want to renew us? Because I recognize as people in our, in our society, and many of us as I've talked to you, long to not go back to normal, but to go beyond normal, right? We don't want to just go back to normal. We want to go beyond normal. Um, that's going to take a renewing in our hearts and our minds and our spirit. And that's going to be so important as we want to pay attention to what God is doing in our lives personally, in our homes, in our friendships, but also in our church community because we long to collaborate and say, Lord, what are you up to and what do you want to do in us uh, as as you long to do something through us? So I'm going to invite us for the next few weeks to, to sit with a prayer that we're going to read from the New Testament. It's from Ephesians chapter 3. And if you've been with Westside for more than two, three years, you know that this prayer is something we often come back to. And I'm not sure if we often come back to or I force us to come back to it. Uh, because it's a prayer that really kicked off our church 19 years ago. That The Lord kind of used this prayer as, a, as um, kind of a framework Uh, a vision of value, sometimes a template to even help us um, examine our hearts, you know, are are we on the right direction? And so I want to sit with this prayer for the next few weeks and teach it. We're going to teach it backwards instead of forwards, but first we're going to read it forwards, and then today we're going to start from the end and slowly work backwards over the next couple of weeks. And so I just want to read it with you. And just like we read the other prayer in Ephesians this morning, 
Uh, let's read it as a kind of a practice in our worship time today. So, so let's read this together. You can follow on the screen or just listen. Maybe a great way for you to immerse yourself in this prayer is to, to even if it's helpful to close your eyes, just listen to it be read um, in, this, in the next moment. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth has its name. And I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And everybody says, amen. amen. That's good. That's good. Man, I was going to pray, but we just prayed. This was a prayer, right? As I was thinking about today specifically, and the last part of that prayer, you know, now to him who can do abundantly more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power work within us, I came across this story serendipitously. I didn't, wasn't looking for it. It was a story of a, of a woman named Betty Reed Soskin. Anybody ever hear about Betty Reed Soskin? She's 100 years old, and she recently retired as a park ranger in California. She started this job at the age of 84. So if you're wondering when retirement is, don't ask Betty because she'll probably challenge you. But I think about this person, this wonderful person who, through her life, outside of her different roles, she was in the Air Force, uh, she worked in nonprofit work, she worked in industry, and then the last 15 years, she's been a park ranger in California. She has also stood uh, with um, civil rights movements, and she's, she's stood uh, to help uh, women also find a place uh, in society. And, and, and I guess she's probably saying, you know what, to heck with the age, we're just going to keep going, right? Like, it's amazing. And so I was I was thinking about her in this story, and it really inspired me because I wondered about her parents holding little Betty as a baby for the first time. Often when parents hold a baby, they have hopes and aspirations and dreams like what their kids are going to become, and probably holding her with high hopes and dreams. However, in a world a hundred years ago where women weren't given much opportunity and the color of one's skin segregated you, I wonder if those two big pieces of society at the time right-sized Betty's parents' vision, maybe limited it a bit, maybe thought, we have high hopes and dreams, but I wonder if our little girl, what she will be able to do. And then consider the other obstacles in Betty's life. She was born in the early 20s, so that means that as a young kid, she went through the Great Depression, then World War I, then World War II, the civil rights movement, multiple market crashes, and then I thought 15 years ago was roughly the 2008-2009 housing crash, and that's when she decided to change career at 84 and become a park ranger. And um, so I, it's not a stretch, at least on a normal, on an ordinary basis, to say that Betty accomplished abundantly far more than her parents ever asked or imagined for her. What do you think? Probably. 
And I, I thought of that because it encouraged me, like the metaphor of her life and seeing something take place that you couldn't ask for or imagine, even though there's a longing in your heart for it. I think it's a metaphor for me for the ache in my own heart to experience God more in this season, to experience him in fresh ways, to have a fresh collaboration as a church community and, um, and, and, and who we are as a church. And so this metaphor of her life kind of really tied to this verse today that we're going to focus on. Because here's Paul writing this prayer for the Ephesian church in the first century, and he's writing it from a prison cell. He's writing to people he dearly loves and has met already and helped establish that church, but he's writing to them from a prison cell, so he's already at a disadvantage, at least for his capacity. He's under arrest for the gospel he's preached and the gospel he's praying will take root in these believers' lives. He's aware of the potential obstacles they will face as Christ followers under the Roman Empire. He's aware of the risks and the danger and maybe the discouragement because he's felt it himself. But then he prays this prayer that we just read. He prays this prayer. And it's full of faith and it's full of hope and it's full of promise. And he doesn't ask for a little. He doesn't skimp on his requests. He doesn't settle for the same as, you know, God, you've done this, saved me. I've seen some people come to faith. I think we're good for the town of Ephesus. <laughs> like, that's not what he prays for. He doesn't just settle for the same as. He is longing for something more, and God's building up a prayer in him that is so bold. The first time that I preached this passage for vision casting for our church 19 years ago, uh, I had like a, a little mini uh, divine moment at uh, Tim Horton's drive-through uh, in LaSalle. And I've shared this story before to some, but I remember driving through this drive-through and we were thinking about starting this church. And, and uh, I remember just kind of turn around the corner and back then there wasn't like screens and everything. There was no, you can pay beforehand. It was just this metal box with holes in it. And so the, you know, the person on the other end just asked me what I wanted. And I said, I just like a medium coffee, two milks. That's it. That was my normal thing. I rarely ordered anything extra unless you know, it was adventurous or something. But she, and, and I remember her words that came across the little, the little metal box. She had a really great accent. She's like, that's it? That's all you want? And I'm like, that's all I want. She's like, are you sure? I'm like, that's all. And in that moment, just hearing her voice, I loved it. I'll never forget it. I thought, I wonder if God asks me that question sometimes. I wonder if God asks me, you know, is that all you're praying for? Is that all you're asking for? Is that all you can imagine for life and for the church and for mission? And that little moment in front of that metal box became this metaphor of, of leaning into this prayer. You know, just like Paul, Paul's not just saying like, you know what, I'll settle. Paul's praying for big things for the church and for the world around him. And this prayer has inspired us and brought conviction to us over the years. And for the next few, years, a few weeks, I want to walk through it backwards a little bit. And, it's, and, and it starts this way. And if we work backwards, we really see the purpose of this prayer. 
And that's the first big idea here. We see the purpose of this prayer. And I wrote it down in a sentence that says this, God has a purpose he wants to accomplish with the gospel. It's not, it's not like vague. God has a purpose he wants to accomplish with the gospel. God has a purpose for sending Christ. God has a purpose for Christ announcing God's kingdom. God has a purpose for uh, you know, leading people to share this message of the cross and the resurrection and the incoming kingdom. What God was doing in the gospel, through the gospel, was radical and was revolutionary, not only for that time, but all the time. But in that moment, we see God creating a brand new community of people. The church was brand new. Something that God started with Israel, that he was building a community to shape them into being the light of the world, light to the nations, an imperfect people, a broken people, a people that would fail, a people that would sin, but that would reflect his way to the world. And then as Jesus announces God's kingdom, and we see someone like Paul now catching on to this, it's opening up to everyone. There's a new community that's being shaped and formed, not only with Jews, but now with non-Jews, a fresh welcome to God's family for everyone. And the purpose, and Paul says it in chapter 2, that the church, these, this, this new community of people, Jew and Gentile, and all that would come, they're becoming this dwelling place for God's presence. That's huge, this dwelling place for God's presence. That's what we are. We're called to be a dwelling place for God's presence. And stuff like reconciliation happens, stuff like restoration happens, um, relationship with God and with each other start to take shape and take form in these people individually and community, communally, and the world starts to see it. Here's, here's a recap in, uh, in Ephesians 2, and I just listed some verses on the screen, and I, and I highlighted some sections to help us understand, like, when Paul's praying for the purpose of the gospel to be fulfilled, he already saw some of it. So verse 5, Paul says, even when we were dead through our trespasses, we're, you know, Christ made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God not the results of work, so that no one may boast. Verse 12, remember that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in this world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 15, he has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances so that he might create in himself one new humanity in the place of two, thus making peace and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. Verse 18, for through him both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you're citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God. And verse 22, in him, Christ, you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. That's a purpose. Isn't that amazing? That's an amazing purpose. That's what the gospel was doing and is doing. And Paul's looking back into that as he's speaking to them. But now he's saying, Lord, I know there's more you're going to do here. Not more than the gospel, but more of the fruit of the gospel. Because when the gospel of God's kingdom was being accomplished, Jesus announced it, Jesus makes it possible, the Spirit's announcing it, and Paul's already seeing it in these people. He says in chapter 1, he's like, I heard of your faith, I heard of your love. Is that my phone? No. 
<laughs> That's okay. We'll get you lunch after here. We've got a barbecue today, so it's good. Um, so... Paul already sees this, right? He sees this new community forming. He sees Jew and Gentile coming together. He sees the beginning of the gospel bloom in this community. And that's why two times in this, in this letter, he writes, for this reason, because I see what's going on in you, because I see your faith and love, because I see the gospel taking root in you, because I see the fruit of the gospel, for this reason, and it's, he starts to bubble up, for this reason, and he begins to pray for them, and he begins to, to call them out to something bigger, because he believes there's something more. He believes that more is possible. He believes that God has more in store for them. And here's the beautiful thing. It's not only God's purpose that he refers to in this part of the prayer. It's through you and it's through me. It's not just purpose. And the next big idea is people. God accomplishes his purpose through people. And Paul is one of those people. Paul was one of those people who was captivated by Jesus Paul was one of those people who was transformed from the inside out. Paul was one of those people who went from hate to love, from maybe stale or corrupt religion to true religion, like James tells us, a religion of love for God and love for others. Paul's consumed that with this idea and this, this vocation that everybody would come to know Jesus. He, he, we read those words from him in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. He just, he longs for the rest of his life to make sure everybody catches the message of God's kingdom, even while he's under arrest. Paul was one of those people, but the Ephesian believers reading this, they were one of those people. Paul doesn't just say, this is God's purpose, he's going to do it. Paul says, he's going to do it through you and through us, and through me, according to his power at work within you, within me, within us. You are how God accomplishes gospel work. You are how God accomplishes his greatest work. Now, I know if we take this out of context, some people are like, well, that sounds elitist. Maybe that sounds new age. It's coming from within, you know? Kind of, I just see a book with a nice glow my heart in the middle, right? Like that's what, you know, maybe it sounds self-centered. Maybe it sounds individualistic. Maybe it sounds overly ambitious, but that's really not the point here. What protects us from this is that he reminds us it's God's power at work within us. And then he ends the prayer saying, all the glory goes to Jesus. But we're reminded, we're reminded here, rooted in the Christian story. Why can we confidently say and walk into an opportunity where we believe that God's going to use us to accomplish his will? Why? It's been part of the Christian story from Genesis 1 and 2, where God creates humanity, male and female, in his image to represent him, to be his idols, his icons, his representatives. That's the real word for idol, where, where humanity is God's icon, representation in this beautiful cosmic temple we call earth and universe. God created you and me for that reason. God made us stewards of creation and then partners with the gospel. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, he says it's like he's so clear. He tells them straight out, God's created you in Christ Jesus to do good works. He's not, there's nothing vague here. God's purposes are fulfilled through you and through me. And we have inherited this purpose from God. It's always been his design that we partner with him. And even as Nagar is here today, and we, you know, just seeing her here and remembering her baptism two years ago. I just, 
I can't help, you know, a couple of weeks ago, she was at our ice cream event in, uh, in Point Claire Village, and, like, she, she, wasn't, she wasn't feeling uh, limited by her health that day, and I just saw her, her joy, her smile, her energy. It's amazing. But I, as I think about Nagar, as we're praying for her today, and we think about her journey, and even her baptism, God used people in her life. Like, one of her teachers shared the gospel with her. There's people in our church community that some that have even moved away now, Jonathan and Victoria, were part of her life and her season. Yes, God's purpose for someone like Nagar to know him and to find life in him and to continue growing in him, but God used people in her life. And you can go ask Nagar which people, but they're people, real people that God used in her life because God uses people to fulfill his purposes. But it's more than that. It's God's power at work in people. It's God's power at work in, within us. And here's this one, another line I want you to think about. God fills his people with his power to accomplish his purpose. That word power is really a theme in this prayer. Three times it comes up, right from the beginning of the prayer. And we're going to keep kind of hitting that word as we work our way backwards, but three times in this prayer. And when you think about the reconciliation that's been made possible, when Paul says, I notice your faith and love, I, I see what's going on among you, I see the reconciliation, I see the restoration, I see the access to God the Father among everyone here, that's a work of God's Spirit in them. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit at work. In fact, everything Paul is praying for in these verses are dependent or were dependent on the empowering power of God's Spirit to fuel it, to fuel it. What they were experiencing, their transformation, their reconciliation, their um, you know, confidence in the Lord was being fueled by the Spirit of God. And Paul experienced it personally. Verse 7 of chapter 3, Paul really says it like this. He says, Of this gospel I have become a servant according to the gift of God's grace that was given me by the working of his power. Paul recognizes, like, I wouldn't be here today. I, I, I wouldn't, anything that, that, that I've seen take place, my own, uh, you know, my own restoration and rescue in the cross of Christ, I did not accomplish this on my own. It's been God's power at work within me. Paul acknowledges that. And so this draws you and me to depend on the Spirit, to intercede with the Spirit, to rely on the Spirit, to surrender to the Spirit. You maybe catch me often more and more saying these days, personally, in emails, when I have the opportunity to share, I often like saying that phrase, let's make room for the Spirit of God. We don't, we don't have to ask, tell God to be here. God's already present, but we need to make room for God's presence at work in us. And I hope that this just draws us, excites us, calls us to depend on the Spirit. Part of the prayer also does something we all need, and especially in this season, especially as we look at the challenges around us, as we look at the, the, uh, you know, some of the fatigue that some face as we look at some of the things going on in our world. Part of this prayer does something we all need. I know I need it. it. Especially this part of the prayer, it lifts our sights. It lifts our sights. It, it stretches our imagination. 
It, it expands our vision. It, it lifts the lid off our expectations. So often, you know, our expectations are kind of contained. You know, God, you can do this much. I'm, this is good, you know. We all, and in fact, sometimes we're only content with, God, thank you for doing this in my life, and we've given him like 10% of our whole life. We're like, thank you, God, for doing this. You know what? I'm going to take care of the rest. And then we put a lid on our expectations of what God wants to do. But this prayer lifts, it lifts the lid off our expectations. Paul prays, now to him who is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we can ask or imagine. Just listen to that part of the prayer. Now to him who is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we can ask or imagine. Why is that the case? Here's this one, one last phrase on the screen. God's purposes aren't just dependent on people, but on his power at work in people. And this implies that something was happening among them, and when we notice something happening among us, we cannot experience it without the work of the Holy Spirit. This is what the, the human soul longs for. This is what I think God's been brewing in my heart even over the summer this is what I've been hearing in little snippets here and there is people are wondering, you know, how are we going to engage life and purpose and mission? How are we going to flourish? And that doesn't mean without struggle. But how we, and I think because the human soul longs for God's spirit to work in us, to work through us. This is what creates God's new community. If we want to grow to the next step of being a collaborative community that loves one another and loves the world around us and to have the fuel and energy to do it, we need God's Spirit to work in us. We can't just say, Lord, work through me. We say, Lord, work through your power at work in me. That's what empowers us for mission. So I want you to think about it this way. It's not just from within us. It's from God within us. It's from God within us. It's His Holy Spirit, His power at work within us. And as we walk into this next season, today, this weekend's a great day. It's Labor Day. And I know that like, you know, some of the, it's some of the busiest weeks of the year for some people as, you know, school or family or work or, you know, people are tricking them in from vacation. It's like, oh yeah, I forgot. I have a job. I got to do something. You know what I mean? Like, I get it. It's a, it's a weird weekend, right? But it's also a weekend that we just stop and say, Lord, what's next? Lord, what's next? How can we be ready? How can we engage? But not just engage for the sake of doing something or for the sake of growth. It's to be renewed that we, us, me, you, the church, would be renewed from the inside out where Paul is praying for this renewal. And let me just, let me just caution you. This, my prayer, our prayer, the goal is not, Lord, make us bigger. The goal is not, God, like, fill all the seats and more. Like, yeah, you can pray that, but that's not the prayer right now. The prayer is, Lord, renew us on the inside. Lord, strengthen us on the inside. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. The, the goal is not bigger. It's not a manufactured abundantly more. It's not how can we promote ourselves so more people show up on Sunday. It's not how can we do X, Y, and Z so we can see more kids in Kids Quest. How can we, you know, like, you know, go out into the streets? Yes, that's maybe part of something there, but really the heartbeat of this is making room for renewal. And as we back up into the prayer, we're going to notice that that's where Paul is leaning. We're just reading the kind of like the big fun end result, but we back into the prayer, we're going to notice how he's calling us, this prayer is calling us to renewal. 
And then this renewal in us becomes an overflow of God's abundant power at work within us. I'm going to invite the team to come up as we get ready for communion. And, but I want to share, just, just finish up with a couple of more words. I'm kind of hesitant to ask, but like, is that what you long for in your heart? Do you long for renewal? Do you long for the very Holy Spirit of God to do something fresh and transformative and powerful in your heart? I, I don't want same as. I don't want, you know, I don't want to put a lid on my expectations of how God wants to transform me. I know personally that God's not done with me yet. I know personally that there's much more that God wants to do in my own heart. I know personally that there's way more that the Spirit wants to form in me and through me. And I know that it's not about doing stuff, but it's about, it's about really being renewed inside my heart. And I just ask you the question, is that what, do you want that? If you want that, then I invite you into this journey because God will, will renew us as we take these steps, as we surrender ourselves, as we make space and room for Him. And then here's the beautiful thing. We can plan this. We can manufacture it. We can dictate exactly how it's going to go, but there's an overflow to that. That's why Paul says, now to him who's able to do abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. That means that I, as I lean in in a majority kind of way in my spiritual walk for renewal, I'm trusting. I'm not trying to manufacture or, or put a, a lid on anything or put a number on something. I'm just saying, Lord, like renew my heart and I want to trust you that you're going to do more than even the prayers you put in my mind and my heart. And just trust him for that. This can start. I came across a story, and it just, it's just coincident that Nagar is Iranian, but I came across a podcast, and I'm going to share it on our social media this week, five things we as a church in the West can learn from the, from the Iranian church. It was, a, it was a, just an eye-opening 30 minutes. But the person who has been interviewed, who is really like tracked with the church in Iran and the history you know, uh, from the 70s and 80s and, and, um, and just seen the Lord do work over the last 50 years. It's incredible. But he shared this story about a woman in Iran who called another woman in another country because the way that much of the church works in Iran, it's very much networks and relationships and small groups and, and, uh, and, and sharing the gospel in both, both organic and even using the internet in different ways. And so this, here's this woman who gets a call from a woman in Iran and says, I found a New Testament. I opened it up. I think I've become a Christian. I found your number in it. I'm calling you. Can you help me? Can you disciple me? Woman in Iran calling a woman in another, in another country. So the woman's like, yes, I'll, like, yes. So they engage in conversation and meeting online a couple of times a week. And this one woman is discipling this new follower of Jesus. And, and it's, just, it's just beautiful. But then the, woman who, the, woman, the Iranian woman who became a Christian a few weeks in says to the other woman, do you want to know how I found the New Testament? And she said, sure. I said, well, I'm a single mom with three kids. And I steal about seven to eight handbags a day to help my kids eat. And one day I stole a handbag. There was no money in it, but there was a New Testament. And I found that New Testament 
and I started reading it. And I just caught this vision of Jesus. And your number was in there, and I called you. She says, by the way, since I've become a Christian, I've only stolen one handbag. <laughs> Maybe her kids were really hungry that day, so we'll give her a pass. I steal seven or eight handbags a day to feed my kids. I was hoping for money in the bag, but I found nothing. I found the New Testament. I found the story of Jesus. I found the message of the gospel. I found the vision of God's kingdom. I found an invitation to new life. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that crazy? I, I just, it just is so incredible. And in a place like Iran, this woman who's come to faith, in three or four months, she's already going to be a church planter. She's already going to be sharing faith with people and inviting people into her network and into her home and, and, and helping disciple people. And I, I wonder if Paul could even imagine this when he prayed this prayer. I wonder if Paul could even fathom in his mind him who is able to accomplish abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. I wonder if he's praying for the Ephesian church, that local church. He didn't know, he didn't know about the church that would be in Alexandria, Egypt eventually. He didn't know about the church that would be in modern-day Turkey. He didn't know about the church that would travel to other parts of the world. He didn't, he could, he didn't know all that stuff. I wonder if he could even fathom that one day, 2,000 years later, in Iran, a woman would steal a handbag and find the gospel. I, don't, I can't imagine that. Could you imagine someone coming to faith after stealing a handbag? Could you imagine someone that, 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 you know, that, that God would use a stolen handbag as an instrument to declare his kingdom and new life to this person? Could you imagine the church in Iran is growing because every week when a Christ follower goes to a small group, there's a pile of New Testaments, and every time they leave their community group, they take a New Testament because they believe and trust. They, they've taken the lid off their expectations. They believe and trust that God will orchestrate a moment in their week where they can share this good news with somebody. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine that? Could you imagine if we approached our day the same way? Could you imagine if we left today taking the lid off our expectations, saying, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe and trust and just be open for it. I'm going to make space for it, Lord. I don't know if it's going to happen or not. I just want to be ready every day, every, throughout the week, just to be ready to move into a moment that you've orchestrated. Could you imagine what could happen? God fills his people with his power to accomplish his purpose. God fills his people with power to accomplish his purpose. I want to believe that with all my heart. I want to see it. And I know I need renewal in my heart to step into it. I know I need a renewal of mind and heart and spirit and a fresh touch from God's Holy Spirit and a fresh call to intercession and a fresh immersion in God's word and story and a fresh vision and love for people in our church and beyond our church. 
Are we praying for this? Are we longing for this? Are we seeking this? And here's my, my last call to this. It's going to come from within you. Not a manufactured outcome, but cultivating an inner life, making space for the presence and power of God. That's what we're going to be after over the next few weeks as we lean into this prayer and work through it backwards to make space for renewal, for his work among us. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.